0: Well good evening, my name's Mike, Um, I'm glad you could join us here at the church tonight whether you're in person or online or listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube sometime in the future. I'm actually a little bit surprised, I thought there would be all of five people given that it's think weekend. I hope the heart, sorry, I hope that you'll take to heart the message that God has given me for you got a bit of a tickle in my throat tonight, so if I start coughing and spluttering, please forgive me. But let's pray. Father God, we come here tonight because we want to honour you. We want to learn your ways. We want to seek your righteousness and we want to pursue that which you have planned for us. We know that you created every one of us and in with that creation came purpose. You have a plan for us all, personal and loving and very important to the future of your kingdom. So we pray that you'll shut out whatever distractions are causing us to move away from you, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear the words that you have for us. And I pray that whatever I preach tonight, Father, will be through your spirit, that anything that's not honoring to you, that you take away pray this in Jesus name. Amen. We're continuing our series in the life in the desert um, in the book of Joshua. So let's just jump straight into the passage. Helps if I turn it on. IT person should know better than that. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebeith Haraloth. I'm probably saying that wrong. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the warriors had died through the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt. Although all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people born on the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the Israelites traveled 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished, not having listened to the voice of the Lord. To them the Lord swore that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was that their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. But they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of all the nation was done, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camping in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and roasted grain. The manna ceased on the day that they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. I don't know about all of you, but when it comes to completing tasks, I'm not very good at multitasking. I am much, much better at picking one task and then hyper-focusing on it until it's completed and then I move on to other things. It has its advantages for being able to shut out distractions, but I really struggle when I have to juggle things that really need to be completed simultaneously. It also comes with risks when there are a lot of things that I need to get done. Anyone ever seen or played with one of these rubber hand thingies? It's a bit like a little hand on a length of elastic, you can flick it around and it sticks to things, you can use it to pick things up, or you can stick it to the walls and ceilings if you were like I was when I was a kid. This hyper-focused behavior that I have is a bit like that. It's really great if it focuses on something that's important, but there's a risk that it'll latch onto something that's not important, and then the important stuff gets left behind. When I realize that this has happened, I have to step back. I have to reset my focus, and I have to recalibrate. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about tonight, recalibration. At the point in history that our passage covers, the Israelites have had two covenants with God. First, there is the covenant that was made with Abraham. This covenant came with a huge number of blessings and promises, and one condition, a physical mark of the covenant circumcision the second is the Mosaic covenant handed down to Moses again the Israelites are promised a great many blessings but this time it came with a lot more conditions including but not limited to those that we know as the Ten Commandments after 40 years in the desert the Israelites were in violation of both of these covenants they hadn't listened to the voice of the Lord they had whinged and they'd complained and made themselves a golden calf as an idol. They had neglected to circumcise their children. And it's not like this was an age of atheism or agnosticism like we live through today, where people que- question God's existence. He was right there with them physically. He, he was God himself, the great I Am, the all-powerful Lord of creation, guiding them through the desert as a manifest pillar Of cloud and flame that had brought them out of Egypt he had parted the Red Seas before them he had granted them so many blessings even through this time delivering them food straight out of heaven the manna bringing water out of the rocks for them to drink healing them from snake bites doing miracles all over the place and yet they still chose to break the covenants when a choice is made it has consequences and the consequences of the choices that the Israelites made were that none who walked out of Egypt as adults would live to enter the Promised Land, save for Caleb and Joshua. While this new generation had physically crossed the Jordan, they were not prepared spiritually to take a hold of what God had promised them. And so it was that time for Israel to recalibrate. It was time to rededicate themselves to the covenants, to ensure that they were in compliance with the conditions that God had placed upon them. Only then could they enter the promised land. Pardon me. Oh, now I've lost my spot. Only then could they enter the promised land and claim the future that God had promised to Abraham. Only then could they experience the joy of being God's people, the promised nation of priests. This behaviour of the Israelites, sadly, was not unique to them. As Christians, we exist under a new covenant given to us by Jesus, our Messiah. I've heard people say that this covenant is unconditional, but respectfully I have to disagree with that. There are conditions, and well, one really. We have to accept this in our hearts, that Jesus Christ is the Holy Son of God, that he humbled himself to come to earth as a man, that he died to save us from our sins, that he defeated death and rose on the third day, and that he returned to heaven to prepare a home in eternity for all those who accept him. For those of us who believe this, are we all good then? Are we set and safe, home free? Well, yeah, we are. But there's an asterisk there, one of those little star thingies that says you need to read the fine print. In multiple places through the New Testament, it says that the scale of our reward in heaven will be based upon the deeds that we do here on earth. Don't misunderstand me. Getting to heaven is all about faith. You can't buy your way through the door. You can't get God's favor through grand deeds. But what you experience after you get there is dependent upon what you do here and now. How does that work, you might ask? How can things be any better than simply being in heaven with God? I actually don't know. Scripture doesn't clarify, and it's not something that I can comprehend. We will just find out when we get there. All I can tell you is that there are better rewards to be earned by doing the things that Jesus commands us to do beyond that first act of faith. And if it is a reward from God, then I guarantee you, It's a reward worth striving for. I want to read you a passage from 1 Corinthians 3. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved. Even though as one, whoops, I didn't get that quite right even though as one escaping through the flames. Might I suggest to you, you don't want to be one of those who enters heaven as one escaping through the flames, not when there are greater rewards on offer. And so we need to recalibrate. Are you just coasting along with your salvation? Do you believe but you're not doing good works to build God's kingdom? You need to recalibrate. Have you set out to do good works for God's sake, but you've gotten lost along the way? It's a dangerous and sad reality that when Christians get involved in politics without taking due care to ground themselves in God's word, the politics can take over and become more important than God Himself. If this has happened, then you need to recalibrate. Do you believe in Jesus, but you've willfully let yourself slip into a pattern of indulging some sort of sinful behavior? lust, pride, violence, greed, whatever it may be, you need to recalibrate. It's so, so very easy for us to get distracted and let our focus shift away from God to other things. And the requirement for anything that does this to us is to recalibrate ourselves towards God's heart. I don't want to spend this whole sermon shouting at you with condemnation and trying to make you feel guilty. With recalibration comes hope and forgiveness and then blessing and joy. If we go back to the end of our passage, when the circumcising of all the nation was done, they remained in their places into their camp until they were healed. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camping in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land. After they had circumcised themselves, after they had recalibrated, they healed. Their disgrace was rolled away by God, and they ate the produce of the land. And so too with us. We do not have to be defined by the mistakes that we've made in the past. God offers us forgiveness and renewal always. When we recalibrate, when we, if you will excuse the imagery here, spiritually circumcise ourselves of whatever it is that we've allowed to come into our lives and get between us and God, then we'll heal. We will feast on the blessings of the Lord and all the joy that comes with that. So how do we recalibrate? Well, I gave you three simple steps in the last sermon for those who are here and remember that. I'm going to go with that again. Step one, pray, repent to God. Confess that you've lost focus on him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to help you through the power of his Holy Spirit to recalibrate your heart. Reshape it to look like his own. Ask him to show you what path he wants you to be walking. Ask him to teach you what role that you have in the body of the believers. And this is not a once-off thing. Keep praying, keep asking, keep begging him to reshape you into who he created you, who he intended you to be. And he will, he'll do it. You ask him, he will answer, he will do it. He has reshaped my heart for a huge amount from a time that I'd lost focus on him and he continues to do so within me. He'll do it for you too, if you ask. Step two, read your Bible. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Learn what all the good works are that God approves of. Take them into your heart. Make them a part of who you are on a day-to-day basis, not just words on a page, part of your person. Step three, get out there, do it. There is no point in asking God to reshape you if you're not willing to step outside your comfort and actually start doing good works. Maybe you aren't sure exactly what God has in mind for you just yet. So test the waters. Join a small group and make the effort to attend. Volunteer in the church. Volunteer with organizations that help the downtrodden and the marginalized. Even if they're not specifically Christian organizations, these are things that God calls us to do. Be out there, be a part of it. Do the things that God has a heart for. Not all of them have to stick. Some things may not be what God has in mind for you. But how will you know until you go out there and try? Find out. That's what recalibration with God looks like. I encourage you all take an honest, hard look at yourselves. Admit where your focus has gone astray. Do something about it. Don't be arrogant. Don't assume that just because you're already doing things that your focus is correct. Ask God to show you where your focus is and what it should be. Ask him to show you yourself through his eyes rather than your own and then recalibrate as you need.